0: The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org.
1: I'm here with Officer Kiefer and Mr. Art Hicks. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of our community. We're talking today uh, about a very important topic, uh, this idea of uh, marginalization. Uh, You know, the idea that um, people or people groups can kind of be uh, looked at peripheral or less than so can you tell us how have you actually seen marginalization actually carried out in our community well let me let me start off by saying
2: that we all marginalize other people whether you know that or not uh, it's called implicit bias that's we all do it it's something that's been brought on by the way you've been raised, what you've seen in the media, what you've seen through your community. So if you're someone that's looking at someone from a race standpoint and you have been raised to have, maybe you've had a lot of racism in your family or in your community, it's hard for you to let that completely go. You're still going to carry that. Even if you don't believe that overtly, you're still going to carry racist kind of thoughts I know I'm not a racist, but do I carry that with me? I know that I do. I've admitted to myself that I know that I do because of my upbringing, because of what I've watched in movies and seen on TV and the news and all that stuff. What I've learned in my in my career is that I've had to accept that I think like that sometimes and it's how you act on those thoughts and trying to fight through those, those implicit biases when you look at people and it's made me a better police officer because now when I approach people, individuals, I try to understand where they're coming from a little better than what I did
0: before. It's easy to marginalize if you've never had that experience. And I think we're more likely, as human beings, we're more likely to marginalize people that we don't know, don't understand, or don't relate to. If you've never been homeless. You don't relate to that, but it's it's not just the homelessness. I think, I think any type of economic deprivation. If you haven't experienced it, it's easy to tag another person. Well, why don't they get a job or why don't they go to school or whatever they, the the white on is. I think our society is made up of, of, of made up of people that don't share a lot of experiences. If we're not exposed to certain things, we sort of build a fence. Create a fear or phobia. Whatever, whatever it happens to be. I have to take the initiative to become exposed to whatever predetermined ideas I have. And if I don't have that exposure, it's easy to conclude that this person doesn't fit my menu of expectations.
3: You know, the American pastime is probably not baseball. It's probably debating arguing, disagreeing, and maybe even rage. Maybe it's part of our challenge right now. We live in a nation, in a culture that's consumed with rage, and we have a responsibility to get angry about a lot of things. In fact, we're encouraged and we're told you should get angry about these things. There's a really long list of things. It probably is wearing you out to keep up with all the things you should be upset about. And so, you know, how do we debate Kind of just thought, you know, how many times have we seen panels where people come together and they argue and they debate? Maybe this looks a little bit like one of those political debate stages, and you've seen it, right? And here, here is the challenge with the way we debate in our modern era, meaning in in today's culture, we don't just disagree. And we don't really acknowledge the fact that you have the right to differences of opinion. See, that's the American thing, right? Because you have a right to freedom of you have a freedom of speech. You have a right to, you have a right and a freedom to think different and speak different. You have a right to your own views and you can vote those views, but no, no, no that, that's not what we do anymore. We don't we don't acknowledge that people have a right to disagree or to have a difference of opinion. When we debate, we demonize. And because we demonize, we dehumanize. Let me be really clear. See, when we demonize, what we're doing is we're saying, it's not just that you have a different idea that I disagree with. It's that your idea is bad and wrong, therefore you should be destroyed for it. If you don't agree with me, then you must hate me and hateful people must be eliminated. So we dehumanize them by turning people not into, we don't acknowledge them as people, we lump them into categories and groups, groups of people that are repulsive, deserving to be destroyed. And where does that leave us as a society and as a culture? Do I need to take a moment so you guys can breathe? Because I'm thinking even those of you that are, are, are in our other campuses right now, you're like, I can't believe we're going there. <laughs> like, are we really going to do this today? Yes, we are. So here's the thing. Let me lighten the mood for a moment. The reality is we all become acutely aware that there are, there are barriers between us and others. Some of those barriers are small and, so, and they grow the more different you are from those around you. So uh, a couple years ago, I was on my bike and it got flat tire, actually not just one flat tire, two flat tires. And so I was walking down the street in the rain with my bike, with my, I had those bike shoes on, so I'm like, click, 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 several miles from home and no one would stop to help me. And I get it, right? You're driving a Prius and you see a guy on a bike. <laughs> Number one, I get it. You're probably not at a place where you should pull over and help me. I get it. You probably can't even pick up my bike. But I'm kidding, I'm just being, I'm just being stupid. I know. But the truth is, right? Like, several pickup trucks went by. And I'm like, come on, man. I could have thrown my bike in the back of your truck, but then, you know, I get it. Like, I'm wearing bike. Pants. and the guy in the pickup truck's like, I ain't going anywhere near that dude. <laughs> but you see, what I'm saying like, quickly, if you, were, if you drove by me, there would have been reasons why you wouldn't have pulled over, because no one pulled over. I walked several miles in the rain with two flat tires on my bike. And uh, recently, uh, I was driving with all the kids in the car, and I ran out of gas. Yeah, I'm one of those dads. (laughs) Laura was not with us. If she was with us, we wouldn't have run out of gas. But I ran out of gas... And, you know, at that point, I really didn't care what people thought of me. I needed help. I had kids in the car. It was hot outside. And as quickly as possible, I needed to get that car moving again. So I left it running with the air conditioning going. I mean, I've got to be there to protect them. But somebody stepped in and helped me. But I get it. I get that there are reasons that, put, that create barriers between us and others. So let's go back to a much more difficult reality. Because sometimes it's not just you driving down the road seeing someone in need you know, wearing weird bike shorts um, or, you know, they're carrying a bike or whatever and you're like, ah, I don't think I'm going to help them. There are reasons why we don't necessarily engage others in a way that treats them as a human being. So let me give you at least just a few of the things that so easily divide us. I mean, we live in a nation where the issues like LGBTQ is a big controversy that gets a lot of people very angry. What about gender issues today? Like which bathrooms should they use and how should political parties respond and how should businesses respond? How should the church respond? How, how should you respond? What about gun rights? Second Amendment issues? What about whether or not somebody should or shouldn't be allowed to have an AR-15 and. What about people who get shot, killed? What should our response be as a nation? It's political parties. Forget political parties. What about our community? What about you and I right here? What are all kinds of other issues that just tear our nation and our cities apart, like racism and other kinds of marginalization that have nothing to do with race, just how we view the immigrant or the refugee? or those that are less fortunate, or someone sitting on the street corner holding up a little cardboard, cardboard sign that says homeless. See, suddenly it's not so much a national problem, it's a city issue, and it's not even really a city issue, it's a you and me issue, right? Because these are things that you and I deal with in our own relationships. I mean, when you have a family meal, when you, when you get together with your family members, this is an issue. You don't even know how to talk about this stuff. Some of you, you literally can't meet with family members because you can't talk about this stuff without it becoming World War III. It's, a, it's certainly a workplace issue. It's certainly a classroom, classmates crisis. And what it does is it tears our cities apart. It's certainly tearing apart Hagerstown and... It's tearing apart Chambersburg. It's tearing apart this region. But it doesn't just tear a city apart. It tears city streets and homes. You have a fractured marriage or you're struggling in a relationship with one of your kids, or maybe you're, you are the child, and you have a broken relationship with one of your parents because you've allowed divides to get in between relationship, and as a result, you didn't debate, you didn't disagree and accept the fact that sometimes we have differences of opinion. In disagreeing, you got to the point where you demonized the other person, or they demonized you, and the moment you start to demonize, the other person is unworthy, of compassion and care, and so they're dehumanized and they deserve to be destroyed. And even if you don't destroy them, you destroyed the relationship. And so how do we bridge that? Is it even possible to overcome these barriers and these divides that get in between us and others in our homes, in our communities, in our city? And so I'm going to bring you back to an ancient time. There's a, there's a parable, a story that helps us really focus in on how we can and how we even should respond in moments where as a nation we're raging. And I'm going to bring you back 2,000 years to a time when there was a nation raging. Say so they were incredibly angry. The nation of Israel had been oppressed by the Roman Empire. So there was, there was racial, political, um, a socioeconomic tension. Within that context, what the Romans would do is when they came in and they occupied a nation, they would, they would bring in their army and they would, basically the army would oppress the people, do whatever they wanted to them, literally take advantage of them, murder them rape the women, and so there was a, you can imagine the, the intensity that the Jewish people felt against the Roman Empire, so how did they pay the soldiers, well here's what they would do, this is the really crazy, sick, angering part, they would tax the people they were oppressing, use their money to pay the soldiers. So how did they get the money from people? Because why, how, why would a Jewish person give money to the Romans? Well, here's what they would do. They would get their own people to be tax collectors. So this guy, Matthew, he was a tax collector robbing from his own people to fund the Roman occupation. Talk about a traitor. I mean, this guy was a real Benedict Arnold. And so he, he um, one day he meets Jesus. He discovered very quickly that Jesus was the kind of guy that welcomed the outcast. He invited invited people that others rejected close to him. And Matthew got welcomed to become a friend of Jesus, even though no one else wanted to be anywhere near Matthew. And eventually, Matthew became a follower of Jesus he became a student of Jesus, and eventually he wrote out the life and story of Jesus from his perspective as an eyewitness to Jesus, to his teachings, to his death, to his resurrection. That book that Matthew wrote is included in the Bible. It's called The Gospel According to Matthew. It's really a, it's a, it's a full account of the life of Jesus, but also much of it from an eyewitness perspective. And, and in this moment, I'm going to jump in and read to you. It's found in Matthew chapter 22, Matthew captures this moment where Jesus is, uh, they're wanting to debate him. So here's Jesus sitting down on one side, and over here is a a Jewish scholar, a, a legal expert, a lawyer a shrewd lawyer who studied Jewish and religious law. And this guy is asking Jesus to kind of summarize all of the laws of the Bible. He said, if you had to kind of narrow it all down, what's one thing that you would say captures all of the law of the Bible? And this was a common debate. In fact, many religious scholars, rabbis, would get together and they would argue about this stuff. And so here's Jesus' answer. Matthew chapter 22, we're gonna jump in. Love the Lord your God, with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. In fact, uh, so this answer is actually, many of the most well-known scholars in Jesus' time would have answered that question the same way. They would have said, if you wanna capture all of the law of the Bible, real, and don't forget that time, we call it the Old Testament, but that was the only Bible they had. And so he said, if you wanna summarize all of the Bible into one statement, it would be this, love God. But Jesus doesn't stop there. This is the first and greatest commandment, he explains. The second is like, he goes, let me give you a freebie. You, you wanted the answer? Love God. He goes, but let me, let me make it really practical for you. If you want number two, because uh, I, I know that your mind's probably going there. Let me just tell you what it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. You could literally summarize the entire Bible. Particularly if you want to look at the Old Testament of the Bible because you could summarize it with these these two statements, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine that. Imagine Jesus sitting on the chair, someone wanting to debate him, but more than debate him, they don't just wanna disagree or argue, they're looking to demonize Jesus and looking to dehumanize him. In fact, a couple years from this moment, they're gonna so dehumanize Jesus that they're gonna use their arguments against him to murder him. And this religious scholar tries to corner Jesus and Jesus gives him the right answer. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And the truth is he could have stopped at love God. He goes, he goes you wanna you want know the only thing you really have a responsibility to do is spend your entire life loving God with all of your strength, with all of your thinking, with all of your energy, just love God. Why? Because if you love God, you will love others. You will do what's right. You will will hate what's evil and you'll love what's good. He goes, you'll live the right kind of life if you just simply love God. He goes, but many of you are gonna miss that. So let me give you the freebie. The way that works in relationship with each other is you have to actually love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine that. Imagine it really was that simple. Not that easy, but that simple. That if you wanted to boil down, the, all that you and I have to do would be to love God with everything we've got and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And our challenge is this. We, we learn these things. We're just not really good at doing these things. In fact, there's a lot of people that claim to know Jesus they just don't act like Jesus. In fact, it's one of the challenges within the church today is we have a lot of people who know a lot of things. They can quote Bible verses. They just don't look at all like Jesus looked, and they don't act like Jesus acted, and they still call themselves Christians, but it's not, you're not a Christian because you know something Jesus taught, but you live the way Jesus lived. And so the challenge we have, the takeaway, is it possible that there is a radical experiment that Jesus was offering in a nation that was under Roman oppression, where their neighbors were being, being beaten and abused, where another neighbor is a tax collector robbing them blind to fund the Roman occupation? Is it possible... That this radical experiment that Jesus offered could really be the answer to the problems in our communities today. Well, here is the takeaway at the very least. Let me give you the challenge, the the big idea, the statement that you and I need to apply to our life. It's simply be a good neighbor. Now, this is not brought to you by any insurance company. Um, I know you're thinking that, so I figured I may as well just say it, but no, I thought there's something really practical to this. You and I, if you want to know the answer to the divisions, to the marginalization, to the rage in our nation. It's that we are invited and challenged by Jesus to be a good neighbor, and interestingly, not just invited, but commanded. He said, this is the law. You wanna summarize all the laws of God? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the challenge is to be a good neighbor. And if it was really that simple, if me standing on the stage and bringing this message to you at each of our campuses, if the answer was simply to tell you to be a good neighbor, 2,000 years ago, the world would have begun to heal. So why is it that we're probably raging worse than we ever have? It's not because people don't know to be a good neighbor. It's that we're doing the same thing the guy sitting in the chair next to Jesus debating him did. See, what the lawyer did, the slick lawyer, what he tried to do was get himself off the hook of a command that he already knew was true. He read the same Bible Jesus did. He knew the law said, love your neighbor as yourself. So what he did was he tried to make the number of people he had to love as small as possible. You have to live within a certain proximity of me for me to love you, which means if you live near me, you're probably a lot like me. You have to vote like I vote. You have to look like I look. You have to believe what I believe. And then you're my neighbor. And so what the lawyer did here is he said, well, then who really is my neighbor? What he was really trying to get out of Jesus was, Jesus, help me so that I don't have to really love anyone. I just have to love the people I like to love. And so what, here's what's crazy, right? So I'm, I'm starting with this challenge. We know we should be good neighbors, We just aren't good neighbors because what we've done is we've limited the number of neighbors we actually have to believe are our neighbor. We just lump it into people that we like to love. And so... Jesus is talking with this guy, and he discovers that there's a problem. The reason why we aren't good neighbors is not because we don't know it, but because we don't want to. And the reason we don't want to is because we're willing to allow divides between us because there's a divide between us and God. See, the the problem with us this way is that we have a problem with God. We feel divided from relationship with God. The reason is because we have a spiritual divide, a giant chasm that separates you and I from God himself. And God didn't start it, even though God's standards are really high. In fact, here, here is a challenge that you and I face, right? We, our culture, this is how we think. We go, if you don't agree with me, then you must hate me. Pick any issue that we currently have as a, as a major problem in our nation. If you don't agree with this, then you must hate those people. And then the other side goes like this. They go, well, if you don't, you don't hate them, then you must be compromising. And so I'm gonna bring you to how God views us. God's standards are impossible. In fact, his standards are so high that no one can ever meet them. Why can't we meet? the standards of God, because we all have sin in our lives. Sin is this instinct to push away from God and do what we want. We go our own direction, we ignore God, and we go about doing the things we wanna do, we make the decisions we wanna make, driven by the desires we have because of sin. We want what we want, and so we ignore God and we go our own way. Sin wrecks our relationship with God and it leads us toward a life of ruin, forever ruin. And because we have a divided relationship with God where we don't know God, we have a broken relationship with others. And so God, who has an impossibly high standard, his standard is no sin. But then we all sin. Here's the first statement, make sure to help you understand our relationship with God. The reality is every one of us are far worse than we could have possibly imagined. None of us are good enough. None of us deserve God's love. None of us deserve God's compassion. We all are broken, messed up. We all fit into the camp of we don't meet the standards of God. So uh, loving God, yeah, we're not very good at that. We, and since we don't love God, it's impossible to love our neighbor. And so then we create divides and cluster people into groups that we justify why we don't have to love them. And so the reason we don't love others well is because we don't love God. And so God came to rescue us. Well, how did God do that? Let me, let me jump back into the story for a moment to help you kind of capture this uh, story. So Jesus, this, this lawyer, he asks this question. He goes, well, then who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story in order to illustrate the point. And so we're, we're jumping back in The story is also written by a guy named Luke. Where the story was told to him. And so Luke also captures the story in his gospel. And so we're going to continue reading. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, good luck priest was coming along, happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man he passed by on the other side so to a Levite, a Levite was somebody who worked in the church in the, in the local synagogue and when he came to the place and saw the man, he passed by on the other side but a Samaritan, it says as he traveled came where the man was and when he saw him he took pity on him, so let me, let me unpack this for a moment make sure you don't miss it, because the first thing you notice here, so Jesus tells a story about a man who's beaten and bloodied, it seems like when you saw him that he is dead. And, and if you were to put yourself in the story, the first person you would put yourself in is you're the man bloodied and beaten. You and I, we've been beaten by sin and we're left for dead. And God came to our rescue. Jesus moved into our neighborhood, became our neighbor and loved us more than he loved himself. He was willing to give his life in sacrificial death for us. When Jesus died, he didn't die because he deserved it. He died because we deserved it. And what Jesus did was he took our eternal death sentence on himself. What we deserve because of our sin, Jesus put on himself so that when he died, he died once for all, paying the penalty of sin absorbing our guilt, our shame, our judgment, so that any of us who believe in Jesus by faith, we're forgiven of sin, guilt and shame removed, and we're given new life, right? Because Jesus not only died, Jesus rose from the dead, and in his resurrection, he gives us the the dying on the side of the road. He gives us new life. He rescued us. He came to us. He picked our lives up. He gave us his life for ours, rose from the dead and gave us victory over sin over death and over eternal judgment so when you and i believe in jesus by faith here's what we believe that every one of us are far worse than we could have ever imagined but far more loved than we could dare to dream You are more loved than you ever could realize. See, God doesn't argue like you and I. We say, if you don't agree with, if you don't like those people, meaning if if you disagree with the way they live, then you must hate them. God says, no, I I can say that the way they're living is wrong because I have a standard that is so high that they can't meet it. And yet I don't hate them, I can love them. In fact, I love them so much that I was willing to die for them. See, God is looking at us saying, you are far worse than you ever could realize, but far more love than you could dare to dream. And then he gives that to us. See, when we you and I believe in Jesus by faith, we're not only forgiven and given new life, God's spirit enters into our spirit. And when we have God's spirit, we're invited both to love God And love our neighbors. What does it look like then to love our neighbors? So jumping back into the story, right? But a Samaritan coming along as he traveled came where the man was. And uh, when he saw him, he took pity on him, right? So that's kind of the capturing of the story. And the, the point of this is that in order for us to be a good neighbor, we just have to notice the needs, it's really important in the story Jesus is telling. He's making this point that there was this man, probably a Jewish man, on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he got attacked by robbers and beaten. A Samaritan man comes to his rescue. Not the priest, not the Levite, not the religious people, not the good um, God-fearing individuals, but a Samaritan. If you've heard me talk about this in other sermons, you'll notice the Samaritans were the outcasts. They were the underprivileged. They were the rejected. They were the marginalized. So Jesus is doing a really cool play on, on um, he's using some irony here to make a point. He goes, the Samaritan saw a Jewish man beaten and it seemed that like he was dead and he went to his rescue. Why would the priest and the Levite not? Well, if the priest or the Levite touched the man and he was actually dead, it would have made them religiously unclean. They would have been disqualified from doing their job for about a week. So they, because of their religion, didn't help the man. It's amazing how many people in the name of religion don't actually do the very things that Jesus called us. To do. And so he makes this point that the Samaritan is really the hero of the story. The, the, the one who is the outcast becomes a neighbor. He helps, it. and so what is the first thing you, need, you and I need to recognize? If we're gonna be a good neighbor, it means we have to notice the needs around us. It means we have to actually, dare I say it, see people as people, not as a problem, not as a argument, not as a political issue, we don't see people first as a race or a gender or a sexual identity. We don't see them first as an opportunity to make to make another buck, meaning they're a contract for us. They're, a, they're an opportunity. They're, a, they're someone I could stand on to get ahead. We see people first as people loved by God. They are valued. And because we see each person as created by God and loved by God, that means you have intrinsic value from God. The way I see you and the way you see me and the way we see our neighbors is we recognize that people are loved by God, valued by God, therefore I see you as a person, first and foremost, and a person in need. That means I open my eyes to the needs around me. The point that Jesus is making this is this. Who is your neighbor? Anyone that God puts in your path. That's it. It's really that simple. It doesn't matter if they have the right religion, the right race, the right socioeconomic standing. If they are in your path, then they are your neighbor. They are worthy of love. They are worthy of honor. They are worthy of respect, worthy of being treated with compassion and care. That means we. Human, Jesus was humanizing the man on the side of the road, beaten and bloody. And he was saying that the Samaritan, who had every reason not to value this person because he was used to being dehumanized, dehumanized, dehumanized. He had every reason to ignore this individual, because he had his own pain, his own hurt, his own, he was dehumanized. Gets involved and shows compassion and care, and so how does he do that? Well, here's the rest of the story. He goes, he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds. Now, this is really important, right? He gets blood on him. gets the grime, the filth. He pours on him oil and wine, which in that time that would have been, the, that would have been the, the medicinal things you use to help treat somebody's wounds. Then he put up the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. He brought him to a place where you would take, you know, a hotel and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them, gave them to the innkeeper. He said, Look after him. He goes, Now I'm giving you responsibility. Would you help take care of him? And I will pay you to take care of him. And when I return, I will re- reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. You, you may have. And the point is this. To be a good neighbor, we have to actually get involved. It's not enough just to see the need. You have to actually get involved in the needs of the people around you. They're your neighbors. Do we notice what's going on in our neighbor's lives? Do we know their names? Or are we spending more time talking about them than talking with them? Another challenge for people who believe in Jesus is, are you spending more time talking to uh, to God about them before you talk to them about God, right? So we've got to be willing to talk to God about people, pray for them, be concerned for them. And then when you talk with them, don't just talk about people, talk with people, get involved in their lives, notice their needs. But then getting involved means you actually have to you know, get involved in the messiness. This is what I really want to catch your attention with. We do not change a nation, and we don't change a city, and we don't change a school through some big dramatic legal decision, some big political move. It doesn't matter who's in government. It doesn't matter who's in local government. It doesn't matter what laws are passed or overturned. You know how a city is transformed? One person on the side of the road that's cared for. When no one notices, and no one sees that you just love your neighbor, See, when we begin to care about one person, and then we care about another person, a city begins to get transformed, one relationship at a time, one good neighbor loving another person, one neighbor caring compassionately for another person that they could justify dehumanizing. Jesus was making a radical point that it means you getting intimately involved in their lives. It means you lifting their lives. It means you sacrifice when the person you're sacrificing for doesn't even appreciate it. It means that you serve them even if they'll never say thank you. It means you give to them even if they never acknowledge that you gave to them. Because this guy, he puts him, he, he puts him in a hotel. He cares for him, he bandages him. He tells the innkeeper, I'm gonna return and I'll pay for the difference. He might return and that guy might already be gone, never even knowing his name. Jesus is saying, we love people. We, we neighbor people. We get involved in their lives. We know their names. Here's what happens. Then it's no longer a number. It's a name, it's no longer a statistic, it's a story. It's a story of someone you care intimately about and here's what that looks like. So then Jesus asks the challenging question. He goes, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? The priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? To the man who fell in the hands of the robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So our responsibility is, do we genuinely neighbor? those that God has put in our path? Do we, do we see the needs around us? Do we see people as people? And then do we get intimately involved in their lives enough that we can actually help them out of their crisis? Are we willing to serve those that will never appreciate it, give to those who will never notice, and sacrifice even though they'll never understand how much it costs us? See, this begins to change how we live. In, in fact, we, in the video we put together to really challenge us in how we tackle these issues as a city, we asked the, the chief and R if he would, they would just talk a little bit
1: more about that. So check this out. How do we cross the line from, hey, over here in my little world, looking at everybody else's, how do I cross over into the exposure world of understanding another lifestyle, another kind of person, so that I can now tear down these walls of marginalization. What's some tangible ways we can actually do it?
0: Number one, you have to grow yourself. You have to grow yourself. And number two, I think the slightest thing will make a difference in someone's life. Specifically, it'll make a difference in in my life because it's easier to make the second step if I make the first step. But the first hurdle is can I grow beyond my own limitation? That's what I have to do. The easiest way is to do what we're doing right
2: here you've got to communicate with people he's gonna be african american no matter what so i'm not gonna go hey well, why are you african american <laughs> Pretty sure it's gonna stay that it's way it's gonna stay that way but i want to know about art hicks you know t- hey tell me tell me about yourself you know what are you about you know, what, you know what's your life like where you know and where'd you come from what are your life experiences because really it's about the person not what got them there which breaks down those walls you've got to be willing to look at yourself and, and accept that you do think a certain way and that it's normal. It's normal, we all do. It doesn't make you a bad person. It's when you don't take that understanding of yourself and make that change in a positive way towards the people that you're marginalizing or that you could be helping to marginalize. That's the harm. Get to know one person. Get to know them on a much deeper level. And that will break down a lot of that other walls for you. You're still gonna carry a lot of that around with you, but at least you can say, I now have an understanding. I now, the things that I heard my whole childhood, my whole young adulthood, by family, friends, community, is not true, you know, because I know this person and that can't
1: be true anymore. Gentlemen, once again, thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of this and thank you for not only watching, but maybe being willing to get involved. Thank you for being for our city, for its people. We realize
3: that issues like the divides that can happen in a city between, say, police and those that have grown up in an urban context where they feel like the police are constantly mistreating them. Well, in a city like ours, is it possible to bring the police and those that feel marginalized together? Yes. But here's the deal, it's not gonna begin just because we say, love your neighbor. You don't get to bark at people to love your neighbor. See, God didn't just tell us to love him. God came to us and he loved us first. See, God demonstrated love to us. He lavished his love on us, then he invited us into his love. Once we receive his love, then he says, love God love me. But when you love me, then you begin to love your neighbor. You begin to love neighbors that look different than you, that act different than you, that believe different than you. And when you and I begin to love our neighbor, we become good neighbors— Every little act of compassion, every little act of concern, every act of even noticing someone, even every act of praying for them, act of lifting someone up, act of cheering for them, act of giving, act of lifting, whatever each step is, will begin to transform our neighborhoods, our homes, our classrooms, our workplaces, a city, right? The city is changed through little, anonymous, unnoticed acts, we, be, we are good neighbors. So I want to challenge you. I'm going to invite you to do something a little different today. I'm going to invite you, would you stand with me right now at each of our campuses? You're in Chambersburg. You're at the cinemas. You're right here at Wilson or Classic. I'm going to invite you to stand with us right now. We're going to take a moment. I'm going to pray. But here's the thing, right? First thing you, you and I might need is we might need to receive love from God. If that's where you're at right now, then don't you worry about your neighbors, You just receive the love of God believing in Jesus by faith believing that he forgives you and gives you new life but I believe there's probably some in your life you need to begin to be a good neighbor to and so I'm going to challenge you um how how can you make a commitment right now to be a good neighbor. So we're going to pray. And if you feel comfortable, you don't have to, you're not forced to do this, but if you feel comfortable doing this, um, why don't you take the hands of somebody next to you? I know like, you're different campuses, maybe you're far away from each other, but I want to challenge you. Just reach out, grab the hands of the person next to you. If you're new with us, you don't have to worry about this, but if you feel comfortable, just take the hands. I'm going to sneak in here. Is that right? Can I do this? And I want to pray. I'm going to pray over you. We need to get comfortable being a little uncomfortable, and we need to get used to bridging the gap by being a good neighbor. So would you join me as I pray over you? Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you reached down and you took our hand. When we were were dying on the side of the road because of sin, you came and you became a neighbor to us, and you gave us life. You forgave us of sin, and you lavished your love on us. Now, God, may the love that we have in us, may it pour through us. May it pour through us that we become good neighbors. May we notice the needs around us and get intimately involved in the lives of those that are hurting, that are broken, that need to be noticed, they need to be loved, they need to be cared for. God, may we as a church be quicker to lift people, than to beat them down, quicker to tell them that God loves them than all the reasons why they shouldn't be loved. Recognizing God that we are all far worse than we could that we realize, and far more loved than we dare to dream. God, we receive that love, but we want to be conduits of that love. Help us to be good neighbors. In Jesus' name, Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.